Watcher, and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. My name is Rory McNamara, where today we are going back in the time machine to look at the Insurrection pay-per-view from May 2001. And yes, it's another UK pay-per-view, but we have to do these things back by popular demand yet again. There's only two a year anyway. Joining me today, and I didn't need to do too much coercion to get him on board, maybe just a little bit, was Mr. Daniel Dwight. Dan, how are we doing, my man? We're good. It's all good. Yeah, always good to to, to jump aboard. Um, UK pay-per-views, uh, not, don't think I've done one with you guys before, but I mean, they're, they're always a little bit interesting. Something outside of the, the norm, usually almost like a, a break from storyline sometimes. So yeah, interesting to sit down and watch it. Um, uh, yeah, let's, 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 let's go through it. See, see how we feel by the end of it. Yes, absolutely. I'm always glad that they do do these, regardless of how much I may or may not like them, other than one night only. The fact that they're not canonical, I have now, I've come round to that a little bit, and with that yeah. long in the rearview mirror, I don't need to worry about it meaning anything. I can sit down for two Saturdays every year, just really enjoy two and a bit hours of fairly decent wrestling. Yeah. As a palate exactly. cleanser. But yeah, it, it feels like it's just a, a bonus show, like a, almost like a DVD extra. Yeah. I'd agree with that. It's a situation where <laughs> this occasion they did actually try to tie in some of the matches to existing storylines. Forgotten about quickly on Monday when Raw rolls round, I shouldn't wonder. And I should say the smackdown that occurs before this, we might just touch on it as we go. But for full details on that and everything else that will happen during this month, do check out our volume two when that one drops later on this month. But for now, insurrection it is. So Dan, kick us off with the results, if you don't mind. Certainly. Uh, so, Eddie Guerrero defeated Grandmaster Sexy. The Radicals, Saturn and Malenko, defeated the Hollies, Crash, Hardcore and Molly. Bradshaw defeated the Big Show. Edge and Christian defeated the Dudleys, Hardys and X-Factor in a four-way elimination match. Chris Benoit defeated Kurt Angle 2-0 in a 2-3 falls match. Chris Jericho defeated William Regal in a Queen's Cup match. And The Undertaker defeated... Steve Austin and Triple H in a handicap match. So your opening thoughts on this specific showdown, Insurrection 01? Um, coming into it, uh, after the sort of tumultuous time that we've been sort of going through with, yeah, with the Austin heel turn and all, and all the sort of break it and the rock sort of now off TV for, for a while. It was an interesting one. So coming into it, I was thinking, well, yes, yeah, so they're making now the undertaker the, the top, Top face with sort of, I guess Jericho behind with and Kane, I guess. So interesting to sort of see how, how I suppose that as we as you sort of said that you know this doesn't sort of seem to fit in with the with the week to week runnings of of the WWF, but it seems to sort of still lean towards that a little bit. So there's still some sort of progression leaning heading towards Judgment Day, I'm guessing. So um, yeah, I, I thought I thought it was a, a good show all round sort of. Flowed quite well. I didn't get sort of too sort of distracted by other things in the room when I was watching it. That being said, I also wasn't on the edge of my seat, if I'm being honest. But we'll we'll talk about that as we go through match by match. Yeah, that's very fair. This one did take a rather long time to get going. And the problem was, and it's a problem with any of these UK shows, they don't give themselves too much time to get going. This one clocked in at about 2 hours 20, which I suppose, just thinking about it, is probably only about 20 minutes action-wise, short of your normal pay-per-view. But it just seems a lot quicker for whatever reason. Maybe because it's on a Saturday night and Saturday nights zip by, don't they, in this <laughs> household anyway. So, 
took them a while, but the way that it was structured with the final three matches all got a similar amount of time and all, at least in the context of this show, had a similar level of importance. I think that elevated this show just, and I do mean just, above the realm of glorified house show, which they will never be able to escape completely. Not that they're ever really going to try as long as these shows exist. But this one just had a little bit more to it, I think, and we'll break it down over the next hour or so. So let's crack right into what we did see on, of course, Sky Box Office over here in the UK. Also shown in Canada, I believe, and also WWF New York as well. Yes, yeah, um... I think Australia was mentioned as well. I remember Hangman doing a Australia, yes, doing a uh, an impression. I wouldn't judge whether it's <laughs> bad or, or in between. He he did a, an Australian voice, so I'm, I remember them being mentioned. But yeah, there was a, a mention yeah to to WF New York being shown there. I guess they still have to keep on plugging that and trying to get as many people in there as possible. So who knows? Maybe they'll put some more effort behind these uh, UK pay views and to say that the only way to watch it is to go to WF New York. So Lucky New Yorkers, I guess, if, if they're in the area. <laughs> well, apparently next, this one is going, this one will be getting a VHS release in the States before too long, so. Ah, okay. I'm sure word of mouth from the New York area. All, all, all 50 states is just yammering at uh, the Insurrection 01 pay-per-view that they missed. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's tell them how right or how wrong they are. So we do get a cold open where Vince accuses Regal of having the commissionership going to his head. And in doing so, mentions some of the matches that are on tap for tonight. Hmm, that's really quite clever. Regal says that none of the changes were down to him, but of course Vince's wife. Which gives us a, my wife! <laughs> I've worked on that one since last month, but the throat every time, every time, just can't get it right. Another change is enough for Vince to break and declare that there will be no other changes. Oh, but here she is. I should say at this point the segment looks like it is shot in the back of a caravan. The cats around <laughs> me are looking nervous enough already, so I won't talk about much room that there may or may not be to swing them in. Linda acts in the interest of the WWF fans and not fairness. I'll just let that one linger for a second. And as Undertaker wanted both Austin and Triple H, she will not be changing that match. When she goes, Vince does an impression of her that is scarily accurate, and then he makes reference to foot and mouth disease, which humans can get. And indeed, for Vince McMahon, that's a fairly contemporary reference. It appears that JR didn't fancy it this time, so we have Cole and Heyman on the call. So after 7 minutes and 15 seconds of precious Sky Box Office time, we finally get a ring entrance. And it's Grandmaster Sexy for his match versus Eddie Guerrero. Can you believe I've only just noticed that Eddie's car in his intro video has fluffy dice in it? Tasteful stuff. To the match then. Eddie attacks right on the belt and goes to town with some elbows. 180 stomp to the face. I always like that one. And then on go the goggles and into the crowd. There you go. I'm sure they will be in the back pages of the exchange and Martin in no time. Grandmaster fights up with a nice missile dropkick, then a mid-air baseball slide. Is that be a baseball float? Whatever it's called, it's really very nice. Latino Heat cuts off the dancing though and then tries his hand a bit of a caper himself. He nearly gets caught with a roll-up though and then recovers with a big clothesline. Inseguri by Sexy and a backdrop and clothesline of his own. Eddie eats Buckle and gets taken down with a kick to the chin. Oh, that's a punchy name for a two count. If only there was something else they could call it. Then we get a sit-out powerbomb attempt that Sexy actually slips during and that brought back some bad memories. But thankfully everybody here seems to be okay. He goes for the hip-hop drop, but Guerrero rolls out of the way. Plenty of heat for Latino heat from the London crowd, as Sexay shoves him off the top with a slam, but then he misses his own charge. Eddie then locks in the Magistral, and with the assistance of the ropes, just about, 
is able to secure himself a nice little win in what I thought, Dan, was a nice little match. Yes, yeah. Um, decent opener. I understand. I, can, I get why it went on first with the Grandmaster of the Sex. They're the two cool music uh, opening up the show. You know, you have the uh, music that everyone recognizing and cheers to to start the show. Yeah, fine sort of cruiserweight, light heavyweight style wrestling match. A bit sort of sloppy at the ending with the La Maha to, to win. And, but um, I, I've just thinking, kind of uh, watching where I say it just makes me miss Scotty too hot. He is Scotty is clearly the, the the better one out of the two, and yeah, just felt like Grandmaster Six is a bit of a Marty Dinetti in that in that respect, unfortunately. And it would be nice for Eddie to have a better match, sort of higher up in the card. But I guess he's just having to go along with things until there's room for him somewhere. I don't know where, but yeah, fine. But yeah, it would have been nice for Eddie to have a better match and. Grandmaster Sexy is not, not my favourite out of the two in that tag team. Yeah, at the time of recording, it looks like they're he's testing the water for some form of Eddie Guerrero babyface turn. He's been helping out Matt Hardy a lot over the last couple of weeks. Not entirely convinced at that or where it's going to go, but it is something. Anything they give Eddie, I'm happy with. We said it on the Backlash show last month, that him being third wheel in a triple threat match involving the two lesser guys from those two big tag teams didn't look at the time like it all good especially well but they may be taking it somewhere now so it's one to watch it's being said as well in the sheets that grandmaster might be getting a bit of a mini push himself i'm sure that is not connected at all to the fact that father dearest is no longer affiliated with the company <laughs> just a coincidence no doubt i'm sure he's seething wherever he is right now the senior Mr. Lawler, but this was okay. Other than the potentially very badly batched power bomb, as I said there in the play-by-play, no, my mind shot back to the events of 18 months ago when that happened. Thankfully, everybody recovered very quickly. Other than that, I thought this was competent. No more. Decent choice for opener, as you said there, Dan. Grandmaster's always going to get the crowd going. I think I've said this a few times on the shows, but it very much bears repeating. Anytime Eddie Guerrero gets a victory... No matter who it's against, I'm a happy man. He is somebody who should be should just be winning matches. Not saying he should be world champion or anything. Well, not yet. But he's the sort of person who, and maybe it's because I'm such a fan of this, and it's a bit of a fan of his and its confirmation bias rearing its ugly head again. But every time he, perhaps more than anybody else on the roster, loses a match, I become that internet fan and start typing, oh my god, you're burying him, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, one, 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 try to submit it through all the drool that I've got on my keyboard. It's only really for Eddie Guerrero that I snap into that for, but if they want to keep themselves safe from my, my rage, from anywhere else on these shows anyway, they just have Eddie Guerrero keep winning. Nice match, nice start, all very, well, nice, but then we are in London, aren't we? Backstage with Triple H and Stephanie. She suggests he seems rather calm tonight. And after all, what is there to worry about? The dead man stands no chance at all in this crap hole England. Hmm, yeah. Nice motorhead shirt, mate. And you wonder where I get it from. Mixed six-person tag team match. I'll try and be good today. Pitting Dean Malenko, Perry Saturn and Terry versus the Holly family. Terry, though, is not happy that we don't have any shoes for her over here. So as such, it has to be a plain old tag team match. Although it does become a three-way anyway, but never mind. Who's really counting today? Molly goes after Terry, so there you are. They exchange slaps, but then they don't exchange Northern Lights suplexes. Guess who does that to who? Giant swing, and now I think we start the match properly. 
Perry getting taken down very nippily by Hardcourt, including a good side suplex, and of course, a very good drop kick. Saturn tries to orbit the ring, thank you, but gets kicked right in the satellites. Yes, I've been waiting four years to use that one, and yes, everybody, I agree, I should have waited some years more. Lovely overhead by Perry, though, and now here a Dean and Crash. Big power slam by Crash, but then Bob is taken down after he tags in. We hear an air horn or two, and honestly, friends in North America and elsewhere, air horns aren't really a thing over here anymore. They just managed to sneak their way into these UK pay-per-views. I haven't heard one at a match, a football match at Wembley since maybe 87 Cup final. Anyway, more, more on that later. You'll be pleased to hear. Saturn then locks on a rear chin lock. Bit early for that, Pez. Bob backs him into the corner, but then we see that choice T-bone suplex. Always love that one. He misses an elbow that he goes for feet first, and already we are teasing the hot tag. Crash with some knockdowns and a tilt-a-whirl and DDT to Malenko. Doesn't last long, though. Saturn puts him on top, but the little fella fights out, and they just about get a rana spot right. Malenko breaks up the three, and then Crash hits the Dodley Dog. Hmm, one to note. Molly and Terry go at it just as some wag gets a women can't wrestle sign on camera. Yeah, you're not helping, bucko. In the distraction, Saturn with a fisherman suplex on Crash, and that means another win for the heels so far today. So Dan, this match, and most importantly, the surfeit of air horns we only get at UK pay-per-views these days. Uh, yeah, I, I, unfortunately, I, I think I think they're kind of here to stay. I think uh, while while people still sell them, people will still buy them, type, type thing. And yeah, even though we don't really hear them much in in football much anymore, it, any kind of indoor arena thing seems to get them. I think, like um, I'm trying to think of other sports, but yeah, um, always when when it seems there's, there's wrestling on in, in an arena or in in any kind of sort of indoor environment, there seems to be air horns. I think even been to some sort of like local sort of spot shows and they even try and sell them there, even though there's only maybe a couple of hundred people there, so you can easily see who it is and it echoes. But yeah. Air horns. If, if somebody if somebody brings in a rattle, that's it, I'm going home. <laughs> Don't think they're quite going going that far far yet, but I will say yeah, you never know what a fan will bring. But uh in terms in terms of this match, um opening note was just a, a big sort of thank you to Terry for not getting involved. I, I don't after her <laughs> amazing feud with with Cat last year, I th- I think I think it's good that she sort of sort of semi-retired or, or just not getting involved anymore much in the ring these these days. I, I don't I don't mind it at all. Um, in terms of the match itself, uh, yeah, good sort of kind of hard hitting with with Perry Dean and and the Hollies in there sort of solid hitting, solid sort of action, really good. I think this could have been a, an opener had. And this is just goes back to the entrance music. Had the Hollies or the Radicals had sort of a more sort of memorable entrance music that, that gets the fans going, then I think they probably would have stuck this on first. But it's just that Grandmaster's sex entrance that gets people going. But yeah, solid all, solid all round. Um, but not much to it. Was it five minutes or so in length? So quick, quick start, quick finish, but got enough in to, to keep me entertained. Yeah, another solid enough match. I still don't know if they actually confused themselves or not by the suggesting that it was going to be just a normal tag match and then it became a six-person tag match again. If this show was more important, I'd spend more time trying to answer that question, but never mind. Yeah, yeah this was fine. Again, I'm, I really should have brought the thesaurus with me today, but fine and nice are probably the best you're going to get out of me for most of these matches, so be warned yeah. over the next 45 minutes. Most notable thing for me in this match was Crush hitting the move that is now called the Dudley Dog. It's still, of course, the acid drop, but never mind. 
looks like we're moving into some form of feud between the Hollies and the Dudleys, if I'm reading the first PW Torch of the month correctly, which could be something. Because I said this last month, the presentation of Spike Dudley I've been rather surprised by, pleasantly surprised by. And apparently he's going to be playing a leading role in whatever this feud ends up being. So that could be one to watch. Interesting, yeah. One to to watch, and it's it's interesting sort of going back to to X7 when we had the well the three three way tag uh, TLC match that became a sort of nine person match in the end and then we've got let's say the the Hollies with with Molly and well the Radicals with with Terry but I guess you'd probably put take Terry out and put Eddie Guerrero back in maybe and then as come up to it later you've got X Factor with Albert so there's, there seems to be a, a, quite a few six six man or six person teams around so there's hmm. there's something to build on with that maybe who knows. Maybe we could be seeing the uh, six-person tag team belts for the first time in the WWF. Oh, uh, um, maybe I spoke too much. <laughs> Got to be careful. When somebody around knows your history, Dan, those who do not, etc., etc., history, such and such, do not repeat them, so on, so on. William Regal's tour of London, and he drops the accent a bit here, which is quite interesting. We get clips of an interview from Sky Sports News' own David Jones, amongst others, as we head to the HMV in Oxford Street. And once again... The fan vox pops, yeah, let's move on swiftly from those. They, they, those were the, probably the best vox pops that they showed. Okay, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> the thing, these these always confuse me because, well, I, I get why it's Regal. You're in, you're in England, you, you put Regal on, but he's been a heel for for more forever. Mm-hmm. Yet he's now in these vox pops, the returning hero, and they did it before with was it with Kurt Angle, I think. Yes. Last year again, yes. again, never, never, never a face. But yeah, he's the, he's now the hero until he comes to what we, until he comes to the what, the match later when he's then booed against. Like brilliant, you you you're making out that English fans will cheer everything and then boo everything as well. It's like oh oh well, never mind. No way, there was no way Angle, I should say, was going to be a heel in that exchange last year. Because he no. name-checked Kelly Brook, but he didn't name-check Ben Shepherd, who he also met. So. <laughs> I know Chris Jericho is a fan favourite, and everybody loves him. But do you honestly think my people here in England, I mean, my people, are going to cheer Chris Jericho over me? No, you, you've got it all wrong. Listen, I'm the only sports hero left in this country. I mean, Prince Nazim and Lennox Lewis, they've let everybody down. I'm not going to let my people down. Look, the next thing for me is being knighted, you know. Well, the birthday honours list is only a month away. Six months away is Rebellion at the Manchester Evening News Arena. That'll be the first week of November. And yes, we'll bring that one to you as well, because we are duty-bound, as I'm sure you've already worked out. Big Show is out now. He didn't come to this rinky-dink little island for nothing. So despite Test's injury, he wants him right now, case of yellow-itis or not. And here he is, but he's not dressed to compete. So he must just be here to raise Show's hand. Well, we don't get a chance to find out, as Test is jumped early by the Big Show, and Test is able to fight back, albeit not for long. Sidewalk slam right on the injured ribs. Final cut, and now the refs are here to ward Show off. He takes the mic and says it is proof that nobody can stop him one-on-one. And as this is pro wrestling, we know what that means. Somebody is here to prove him wrong. None other than Bradshaw. You can't win them all. He slugs away, and I suppose the match is now on. Cole gets in the first jolly old England of the night, and I suppose I should be thankful it took him as long as 35 minutes to do so. 35 seconds, I was expecting. Clubbing blows by show to the head and chest and back. 
Paramedics tend to test on the outside as Bradshaw battles back. He has to take a big slam though, and then Big Show tries an elbow but comes up short. Bradshaw goes up top, open bracket, exclamation mark, close bracket, and does take Big Show down with a shoulder tackle. He then manages to block a counter choke slam, but does get sent through the ropes. Show grabs a chair but puts it in the ring, allowing him to get in a headbutt or two on Test, and puts him in the ring too. He goes for a chair shot but Test boots it back in his face. Bradshaw up with the clothesline from hell, and there's your first babyface winner of the night. Yeah, cheers. Dan? Uh, big, big show and test of the segment, but the, the promo before, God, uh, not, not, not a fan. I, I think you can tell that the big show's clearly from the, the Hulk Hogan school of promos with the, with the way he was talking. It's, it sounded like if you, if Hulk Hogan was a, was doing a heel, a heel promo, but not a Hollywood Hogan one. It just sounded like the, the gesticulating, the pointing, and yeah, the rinkling little island, like bad mouthing the the place we're in, which it happens a lot, of course, with all the heels tonight. But it, the way Big Show delivered it just reminded me of of it was like yeah, nineteen eighty seven or something. But yeah, and then we got to the match, which thankfully didn't overstay its welcome because sometimes these big man matches, as we know, it's what Vince likes could have could have easily lasted ten ten minutes plus just because he wanted to see them. But yeah, it was 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 out in sort of about three minutes, so not too offensive. So, but yeah, glad it didn't like say didn't stay around too long, and glad it wasn't big show and test in the end. I think Bradshaw slightly better than test in, in my opinion. I think. Yeah, definitely one for our small mercies column. <laughs> I think that that's definitely the best you're going to get out of me with any Bradshaw victory. I would probably have rather seen test, but that's probably a discussion for another day. Big Show is the one I'm worried about. He's been going nowhere since the hardcore match at WrestleMania, just meandering in this lower mid-card stuff. By all accounts, he's going to be staying in the hardcore picture for the next few weeks or so. And Is this really what it was all about? The 10-year guaranteed deal and all of that he could have been Titan the corporate giant? Seems a very, very long time ago now. Yeah, yeah. We're two, we're two years in. We're almost about a quarter of a way through his contract. And I think it's safe to say there hasn't been much of a return on the investment. No, no. Well, not, the best not thing that happened to him was going to OBW at the end of 2000, earlier one, but he hasn't improved any. Certainly not in the way he was meant to improve, if you know what I mean. So is he happy with this situation? If he is, then probably just as well, because it isn't going to get any better for him anytime soon, but uh, this isn't what it said on the front of the brochure for the big show. No, it, for, for me, it's it's complacency. It's, it's like he kn- he knows that he's going to always kind of have a job, really, because he's a he's a big man. That he, he is kind of an, an attraction in that in that sort of not obviously nowhere near what Andre was, not even close. But he is he is sort of outstanding. He and he, so he'll always be used in these. Roles if he wants to, and he has. He doesn't seem to have that push or desire to to do any more. So if he's only if he can turn up and do five minutes and then leave, probably suits him. Probably suits everybody really. And yes, in terms of a, a investment, probably probably ultimately not. But maybe I guess he maybe used used to push any any new younger guys and get like the upset victory over the giant. I know it won't mean as much as it would if it was he was a main eventer, but maybe that's just where he is now. Or, even though we're only, like I say, a few years into his contract. Exactly. So they can't release him with seven years to go. No. 
seven million dollar payout <laughs> on your bike. They are stuck with him, and as such, so are we. Coach interviews a scarred up Stone Cold Steve Austin, and I am pleased to report that the champ is met by near entire booze. After what happened on SmackDown, that stupid SOB Undertaker is going to be punished. He and Triple H are going to sort him out today in this piece of crap country. Oh, Austin, you are being booed anyway. Next match, four-team elimination tag team action. The Dudleys versus Edge and Christian versus the Hardys versus X-Pac and Just Incredible. Anyone can tag anyone, but a pinfall and submission for you means your team are eliminated. Justin and Bubba kick things off, and you know what? I really like Bubba's punches. Nice hip toss and slam as well. Even though I've written a hop toss, which somebody should try one day. Justin tags Matt Hardy in, and now here comes Christian. Lovely drop kick by Christian and an amusing mock of the Hardy taunt. Somebody boosted their spirit meter early. <laughs> the brothers Hardy then get them some of Christian, so he tags in edge. Diving clothesline by Jeff for a two, as Heyman reminds me he is only 23. Jeff, that is, not Heyman. Although I could understand any confusion. X-Pac in now, and the Hardys with some cool double teams, but no pinball yet. He then favours his knee, and Credible uses the distraction to do stuff. Bronco busted by Pac, but Matt ducks a double team with a double clothesline. He manages then to tag Jeff. He goes after everything that moves and a few things that don't. Poetry in motion brings in everyone, then Matt gives Pac the twist of face. He avoids attempted interference by Albert, and then the Swanton bomb sends X-Pac the pack in. And they'll be joined now by the Hardys, as somebody clearly gets the sign, Christian hitting Jeff with a quick unprettier. It was weird. So to the Dudleys and Edge and Christian, much sooner than I expected. Flapjack to Christian allows things to slow down a little, and you know what the crowd want to see. For now, though, they have to make do with a Devon power slam and the two count. Edge with the next snap, as the rep is distracted, and now the heels can take advantage. Dropkick by Edge for another count of two. Devon trapped in the corner for a good while as E&C brushes up the heat. They're not really doing much, but they don't have to. A trick more could do well to learn, I would wager. Up to the top rope we go, where Devon can counter a superplex attempt and then a desperation knockdown. Hot tag is made, but the ref didn't see it. I feel like it's been a while since we saw that spot. Everything in moderation and all that. Devon with a big neck breaker, and maybe now we will get the proper hot tag. Yes, there you go. Bubba does some rolling, and he's very good at this too. I don't think we say it often enough. Bubba bomb to Christian, so it's poor old Edge who gets what's up this time. And there's only one thing that follows from there. And yes, they made the trip too. Edge and Christian try a double baseball slide, but they in fact just end up being clonked with the table. They go for a 3D to Christian, do the, do the Dudleys, but Edge pulls them out of the ring to safety. And with the ref tied up, here comes Rhino. And how? Gore! 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 Nope, can't do it. That is more than enough for the heels to sneak the pin and get the win. He sets up a table, but here comes Spike to help a bit. Dudley Dog to Edge, and now all the family are here. It is indeed Rhino who gets the horns. Nah, that doesn't work. But then this show isn't really worthy of my best material. Well, maybe it is. Anyway, the Dudleys lose a match, but Dan, we are long past the time where that really means anything. Yes, yeah, um... Overall, I thought this was a decent, decent match. I do like um, the the elimination style rather than the, um, the the sort of sudden death where you have people tagging each other. Surely you'd want to stay in the ring and, and get the win rather than tag an opponent so they can win. This way, with the elimination, you're tagging to save, tagging out to to save yourself, and then hopefully someone else can get eliminated. So that in that aspect, I thought it's it's fine. Um, the introduction of, of of Alba and and Rhino, I think, was, was used used well. Apart from, did Rhino really need to be the one to go through the table? Because you're supposed to be building up as a as a bit of a monster, sort of the the muscle behind Edge and Christian. 
yeah, he's the one who suffers at the end. Don't think they needed to be them. Don't really think ne- Dudley's needed to get their their heat back. But I guess send send the fan fans home happy with a with a table spot. I guess. But overall, um, yeah, this pretty decent match, and I think probably probably the right winners, Edge and Christian, sneakily, which is what they're, what we're accustomed to. Yeah, I still remain a little bit surprised that the Hardys went so quickly after yeah, X Factor. True. I put in my notes that it was the go home sign and I can only assume that that's what it was. And I'm sure the fans would have hoped we would have had a bit more interaction with these three teams because it never gets old and I don't think it ever will. Didn't get a chance here though. So I could sense that they were a bit disappointed. The crowd was pretty damn good for the first hour or so, but they did let it drop when it got down to the final two teams here, but they did pick back up towards the end. I'm still not bored of three of these four teams interacting. I'll leave you to guess those, those, three, those four <laughs> teams are. There will come a time where changes have to be made, but I don't think we're there yet. I've settled in to the Dudleys not caring about winning matches. Like every other fan who attends a WWF show, I don't care about that anyway, as long as I get what I want after the bell. As long, it's also the reverse big show, as long as the Dudleys are happy with that situation, then I've got no problem with it continuing. Edge and Christian are already seven-time tag champions. Is that correct, Dan? Uh, ring, ring to bell. Um, yeah, there must be. And I mean, yeah, the tag belts are tied up at the moment, but you, you can see them. I don't know how how long down the road they'll be, but eventually they'll they'll have them again. I'm sure. Probably. To be fair, probably all four teams in this match probably will. Yeah, yes, yes, that, that, that four that fourth team. Um, who, who we're probably not speaking much about, um, <laughs> not, not as not as likely as the others, but with with Albert in there, it's always the that added sort of. I mean, I am going to use the pun that added X factor. Sorry, oh, but damn. <laughs> but I can see it happen. I can, if you say, yeah, if you say to me by the, by the end of the year, all four of these teams will have the belts for at least a month each. Yeah, I I would I think that's probably fair, and I wouldn't be upset by sort of the the combinations we see of these of these four i think these these well, the, the three and and yeah actually can be can be lifted up hopefully i mean there's potential there so yeah hopefully going forward we see see at least some combination of these guys on the on pay-per-views going forward yes the chemistry is still there it's shown no sign of dissipating no and they've all fought each other 50 million times so they should be able to do this stuff with their eyes closed. Maybe they do at some point, but it doesn't matter. Still always very, very exciting watches. And it doesn't even begin to get dull watching a combination of those three teams. It probably should now. The law of diminishing returns should have kicked in, but it really hasn't. And if this goes on for another year, I'm not going to complain too vociferously. Well, there we go. Maybe that's, maybe that's what um, X Factor are there for, to be the, the sort of added ingredient to this, to, to spice up. Yes, they're not on the same level, but they they do add that little bit of difference that you'd have just a different interactions with, with the teams and stuff. Maybe there'd be different things to think of. I mean, yeah, just incredible. I can't say I'm, I'm a massive fan now, especially now that he's no longer sort of the the, the guy as he was in ECW for a bit. And X-Park, hmm, yeah, not massive on him, but he's got massive experience as it was pointed out by, by Heyman. I think he said he's like a 14-year yeah, pro, you know, he's only 29 or something crazy. So he can sort of add some insight into into these matches. And yeah, 
like I said just a minute ago, looking forward to seeing how, how it goes. Yeah, X Factor being an added ingredient. Yeah, they're more food colouring rather than food flavouring. <laughs> uh, yeah, pr- probably fair, probably fair for now, but but ho- hopefully, hopefully, maybe by the end of the year. I'll- I might be I hope, so. I, I hope I have some more nice things to say about them. I don't really want Lacey on my back if I can avoid <laughs> it. Let's go back to last night and the Make-A-Wish charity dinner at the Royal Lancaster Hotel. I've been there and they didn't kick me out. Sadly, they don't kick out Richard Keyes either. We do get to see Stephanie slap Michael Cole, though, so I'll take it on the curve. OK, then. Now the reason you're all listening to this show. Well, the stars are joining us, folks, in the house here at Insurrection. Evan Holmes from GMT. We also got a lot of huge stars, including Chris Tarrant, who wants to be a millionaire, and Gianfranco Zola from the Chelsea Football Club. Huge reaction from uh, Gianfranco. Having a blast at Earl's Court. With apologies to Chris Mullin, we have ourselves a very British roll call. Messrs. Eamon Holmes, Chris Tarrant, and Gianfranco Zola. Dan. You have the enviable task, and yes, that's not a mistype, the enviable task of letting our international listeners know who all four of these people are. And yes, I do indeed mean four, because as a bonus and punishment for your X-Factor gag a couple of minutes ago, you get to educate them in the ways and means of Richard Keyes too. Off you go. Oh, aren't I a lucky chap indeed. <laughs> so we'll start with the top then. So, so Richard Keyes is... Uh, we're currently sports presenter so on our on Sky Sports, basically, um, mainly covering sort of the football. So I guess the equivalent would be a lead sports anchor on on ESPN. Don't know anyone on ESPN, unfortunately, so can't link you there. Next up, we had Eamon Holmes, who uh, so breakfast TV uh, host, um, sort of general sort of magazine type shows. Off the top of my head, wreck my brains for a an American reference, someone like. Regis does does a mid morning show in America. I think. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's still going. I know it was way back a few years before, so possibly still right. And or speaking of Regis, who is the host? <laughs> of the really, of, yeah, you, you planned that. Come on, Dan. Don't be nervous. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I would, but that's just the luck of my brain, I guess. Regis, who is the host of um, Who Wants to Be Millionaire in America? Chris Tarrant is our UK equivalent. Probably not as jovial, or maybe is uh, as Revis. I don't, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't been able to watch American, the American version of of Millionaire, but, but yeah, still a, sort of a decent guy. And then Jan, Gianfranco Zola, an Italian footballer, currently playing at Chelsea. I uh, always find it funny when they bring in sort of sports people like in London because there's so many football teams around. He's never going to get universally cheered. <laughs> enough of a contingent from from Chelsea's rivals to, to boo him. So. Interesting sort of mixed bag reaction for him. I think probably Tarrant probably got the, the the most sort of reaction positively, I guess, because Millionaire is a it's a pretty decent sort of big hit. And yeah, he's generally been on TV for well, God knows what since the seventies, I, I think. So oh, t- tis was since the late seventies, yeah. Yeah, so he's he's been on TV forever. So he's generally sort of seen as a, a decent enough bloke. So yeah, I think he got a a decent reaction. So I hope that educates you a little bit if you don't know who these guys already were um thanks rory <laughs> dan this is a service this show you know everybody was asking the question yes yes true i i i, I await the messages of, of of thanks for for the education of of on aim and homes there's a, a song by i don't know if you're familiar with their work dan about half man half biscuit they released a few years ago called turn a blind eye 
And the topic of the lyric is they, because it's always they, coming for certain groups of people. And as the band aren't any of those certain groups of people, they just let it happen and do nothing. And it has the brilliant lyric. They came for Eamon Holmes, and I think I'm right in saying I am lauded. <laughs> uh, Chris Tarrant got a mighty pop, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can say, he, like I say he's prime, prime time TV and he's been, been, everyone sort of knows who he is. So yeah, but he, and he also played up to it. He's a guy who knows to, to when to be on, on camera, even though he's like a just seeing in the audience. He he knew he was on camera and sort of stuck his tongue out basically. Oh yeah, there we go. Yeah, yes. Sadly, we couldn't hear him. Oh, that would have been something. And Gianfranco Zola of the Chelsea Football Club, as Michael Cole put it, oh, close enough. Yes. He didn't know he was on camera for a while, did old Gianfran? He was looking off. Yeah, probably yeah, wondering why, pretty, probably wondering if those cheers were all for him, but they really weren't, my man. Yeah, like I say, it, it was initial cheers, but then enough, enough football fans sort of re- realised that, oh, hang on, we, we can boo him. It, it is still a, it is someone still playing for the opposition. Yeah, all those people booing him, but they've still got some of those pieces of his in the freezer, though, haven't oh, they? Of course. And rightly so. <laughs> and Richard Keyes, we've already talked about too much. The hairiest oh. man in Britain is already more information than anybody well, needs. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get this. <laughs> it's definitely time to get to something else now. Angle yeah. is interviewed by Coach. This week he didn't lose his medals, despite what you might think. They were stolen. So today he will break Benoit's will and his ankle and get those medals back around his neck. Oh, first there we have RTC to deal with. Oh, this fucking segment. <laughs> Stevie had to come here to tell each and every one of us that what we are doing is wrong. He makes the same mistake that far too many people in this country make by saying Big Ben is something you can see. Big Ben is, of course, the bell. It's not the clock. But it's Stevie, so he's forgiven. He then goes off on a rant about page three. And yes, somebody was actually sent off to the cheap station kiosk to buy copies of The Sun and what I believe is the Daily Star, just in case we needed to know what it was he was talking about. And on that note, the Ladies Battle Royal has been cancelled. He brings out Jacqueline, Trish and Lita anyway, the latter accompanied by a sign in the crowd reading, Lita, come to my house for tea. All Ivory sees are a bunch of street corner slappers. I doubt she will be allowed to get away with that. And indeed, she will be lucky to get away in her undies, as it just about proves. Stevie then weighs in by calling them hussies, and Trish has something to say. It must be so hard to be in control all the time. Why not let someone else do so? A low blow it is, and then poor old Stevie gets debagged. And moonsaulted by Lita for good measure. <laughs> well, Dan, that was a segment that happened. So when we talked about it probably being more than a glorified house show, um, yeah, that's that. kind of what this was, wasn't it? This this was the classic uh, whiny heel comes out, does a, does a whiny thing, and then the faces come out and the heel gets comeuppance. <sighs> Again, didn't overstay its welcome, I suppose, too long. So it it it, it was a nice sort of, I guess, what mid mid show break. If, if nothing else, I guess that's the way you sort of put it through. As like a, this what this is kind of what would happen in an interval, maybe type type thing if there was one. But yeah, still didn't really need it. I don't like that Trish, Lita, and Jacqueline are still doing this sort of stuff. Yeah. If they were really responding to being called hussies and slappers, then that would be one thing. But very close to come playing up to it. That's my problem with this segment. Yeah. They was, they, it was it was almost like a yeah and type yeah, thing. Yeah, treating it as a compliment. Thankfully, yeah. the guy in the crowd kept his women's wrestling sign down this time, I'm pleased to say. But, <laughs> yeah, th- these things don't help. They really do not help. It's always one step forward, five steps back with the women's division. Over the last 
six to eight months, increasing signs that they've got something. Both Trish and Lita are improving in the ring. Still got a long way to go, but I'll tell you what, why not give them a match to help them along on that way today? Nobody's really watching this pay-per-view anyway. Give them six to eight minutes just to add a couple of extra strings to their bow. Yeah, and um, I said we saw Molly earlier, but she could have easily been, they could have easily had a, a, well, they said a women's battle royal, which, yeah, I'm not sure about that, but. Yeah, 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 but they could have, they could have clearly made, had a like a number one contenders type match, Mm -hmm. because that's what, that's clearly kind of what they're aiming for, but someone's going to face China soon. Why not have something on the line here? Yep. But there we go. It's. Little acorns is all I can say. <laughs> Very little acorns. Speaking of which, Benoit is in the ring first for his two out of three fours match with Angle. Oh my god, what's wrong with me? Kurt though just wants his medals back, but Benoit tells them they are in a warm place, which of course cannot be England because it is freezing here. If you're listening to this, you will already know that was a Michael Cole joke. Anyway, very quick start from these two with Benoit trying to get on the cross face, but Angle with some stiff elbows in the corner to shake him off. They really were stiff as well. Reset with a lovely fireman's carry takedown by Angle, but then counters and counter counters at a pace far beyond my typing abilities. I think even dear old Mavis Beacon would be a move or so behind each time. <laughs> quick break, then Angle tries to a leg takedown, but Benoit grapples with the arm in response. Lovely. Ankle lock attempt though, and from there Benoit can kick him through the ropes to escape. That whole segment was impossibly smooth. Where do they get it from? A good old George act between the two into a slugfest, but Angle's beautiful diving roll-up attempt stops that. Quick kick out and then another cross-face try, but Angle scampers away. He then drops Benoit on the top buckle and then his tremendous suplex, not a back suplex, Michael, helps maintain his advantage. Overhead belly-to-belly and a woo, and an overhead belly-to-belly and a woo. And then one from Benoit, but he doesn't woo, spoil sport. Massive chops by the Wolverine and a cracking snap suplex followed by another. Heyman spots that as what it is, a tribute to Dynamite Kid. I mean, of course, it doesn't take much for Mr. Billington to smile anyway, but I'm sure he was grinning away at that one. Triple rolling Germans and a flying headbutt for one, two and three. Benoit takes the first fall on that. After a quick breather, Angle knocks Benoit out of the ring and stomps away. And then an Irish whip to the steps. Not a slingshot, Michael. Are you gads, man? Back in the ring, Chris gets prepped on the top rope and then belly-to-bellied right down to the ring from it. But Angle cannot yet tie up the score. Side suplex doesn't do it either. Chin lock on the mat to wear him down a bit more, in theory, because Benoit is up, but walks right into the belly-to-belly. Still no three count for Angle. He reverses another suplex attempt and nearly gets the winning fall, but Angle is out fast and right back to the big stomping. He almost gets caught by a small package though and can barely get out to keep himself alive. Angle shots getting more and more desperate here, and then Benoit can plant him with a DDT. They block a few things each, and this includes fighting out of the Angle Slam. Rolling Germans again. And now Benoit goes up for the flying headbutt again, but this time Angle is able to move, and slaps on the ankle lock. Nope, it's the crossface. No, Angle rolls out of it. No, tight small package by Benoit. One, two, three. Benoit defeats Angle by two clean falls. Crowd did not expect that. And nor did I. Benoit takes the mic, oh, don't spoil it now, and confirms the safe, warm place where the gold medals lay. Angle makes no attempt to grab them. Maybe that's just as well, because we really don't want to hear Chris Benoit singing. Are you here for my pleasure or are you going for gold? That's only a five years old reference. Not as bad as some of the ones on this show. <laughs> Dan. 
Before I ruin it any further, Benoit versus Angle for 15 minutes. Yes, oh, yes, please. I mean, um, there's, I was just thinking that there's a, a football chant over here that when a, when a, your team's sort of three or four nil up, the chant will be, can we play you every week? <laughs> My thinking is, can we watch Love this it. every week or every month? And I hope it does continue because yet, yet another outstanding uh, match between these two that, um, I think it's been going well sort of ever since it started. I think starting from just a, a match out of having a match to stake almost to this kind of storyline, which, yeah, a bit of comedy in it, but then that, that kind of fleshes out their characters rather than just being too generic sort of technical wrestlers. They're, they're showing their characters, which is, which is good. But yeah, the match itself, lovely. Um, I really enjoyed that it was a, it was a 2 0 as well because you, you, it rarely happens. Two out of three falls is always kind of pretty formulaic. One guy wins one, one guy wins the second. Then either he'll cheat to win, win the decider or or face overcomes um, adversity to win the third. To go two 0 up, to, great way to do it, and it and it ties in with the with the story of Angle's sort of um, mind's not in it because he's too busy thinking about his medals to concentrate probably on the match, and that's kind of how it, how it went. So yeah, have, more than happy with that. I think yes, yeah, some might argue that it was good to see Kurt Angle get a, get a win and make it two one, but to have this refreshing sort of 2-0 sort of whitewash um, of in a match. Um, happy with that. And yeah, more of the same, please. I said last month that one of the problems with the submission Ironman match they had, that crowds just haven't really been conditioned to this style of wrestling. No. So make us conditioned then. I will say to April 2001, Rory, just have them wrestle each other every week a month. They'll soon come round. Yeah, brilliant stuff here. And the one match I would recommend people around the rest of this big old cosmos, going out of their way to see if you can. The WrestleMania match was very popular with one Eric Landstrom and our WrestleMania show. Do check that one out in the archives if you missed it. Some of us had our issues with the final third. A little bit messy for these guys. Mm. This was incredibly tight work in a match that lasted, again, around about the same time, 14 and a half minutes or so. Did not miss a beat, and there were plenty of beats in there. And the BPM must have been up around 250, but it was there. Bam, bam, bam. I can't recall a single drop stitch in this match. If anybody could be forgiven such a thing, it would be these two. But they've already just got it. It's so advanced, the stuff they do. But it's easy to get into if you let yourself get into it. Obviously, there's still a great portion of the WWF audience for whom this stuff is just verboten, as far as they're concerned. But... Join us, everybody. Come on. Trust me, the water's lovely. <laughs> Benoit winning 2-0 was a huge surprise. But at the time, I thought it was. But since I watched this show yesterday, taken stock, A, this is Insurrection 2001. Need I say more on that point? And B, it does, if you want to stick a bit of storyline on this, I don't think they're going to next week, but work with me here, then Angle can use this as extra frustration to try to get his medals back, which I would presume is going to be the match at Judgment Day later this month. Yeah, fantastic wrestling here. It's the sort of thing where I can't really break it down move for move because it's way above my station. If great wrestlers have a great wrestling match and you're listening to a podcast telling you about it, then we've already done our job. Marvel in theirs for 15 minutes. Do get hold of this one. I think this is the best match they've had together. Still think there's room for better as well. Rubs hands with glee. Triple H is telling Austin that Undertaker doesn't stand a chance today. And yes, everything is done in that order. Triple H telling Austin. 
They then ask Deborah for their drinks again, with Stephanie wanting some chamomile tea. But Deborah is not going to run them any errands this night. Our penultimate match is Regal versus Jericho for the Queen's Cup, which is an extremely priceless trophy. Ooh, Cole's brought his A-game today, hasn't he? Regal is out first, and unlike back in December, the UK crowd do bite on the booing right away this time. Big pop for Jericho here. No promos for me, the man, which is a surprise. Regal slaps on a side headlock to start us off, and then some nice exchanges over a wrist lock. Jericho shouldn't be so frightened to show off that sort of thing. He is good at it. Much like on SmackDown this week, Cole's voice is starting to go, and I'm really not smirking. I'm not. Knocked down by Y2J and then he blocks a leverage move attempt from Regal and takes that right into a run off the top ropes and an axe handle. That exchange was much cooler than I made it sound. Flying body press for a count of two. Quick near fall sequence which Jericho tries to take into the walls but not yet sir. Sign in the crowd. Regal for PM. Well our general election is only next month. He ponders his Queen's speech whilst clamping on an arm lock. Jericho up but eats boot and there's the wave. And there is the drop kick to cut it off. Rana off the top by Jericho. Regal's head was rather close to the mat there. But no harm done, it seems, again, and we get a two count. Dropkick is blocked, and yes, Cole, that is a slingshot. Boy, is that a German suplex. They're not saying boo, they're saying regal, regal, regal. Thanks, Heyman. And now, indeed, a small portion of fans are doing just that. Jolly good show. Tight rear chin lock by William. That is no mere rest hold. Then he takes it outside as Jericho gets to visit the ring post. Back in, Y2J tries a sunset flip and down goes the commish, but he is out at two. And then right back on top he is with a clothesline and another cravat headlock. Y2J really gives it the lack of oxygen cell here, but he gets the wind he needs before the arm can drop at three. Suplex by Regal gets a two count and now an abdominal stretch on the mat. Again, not absolutely certain the crowd appreciate the mat work here, but I do, so no. Jericho fights up again and I detect one or two boos in there for him now. Enziguri and both men are down. Jericho builds adrenaline with clotheslines and drop kicks, and now he is definitely getting his fair share of booze. Slightly whiffy bulldog is followed by a much better line salt. It would have been if the knees weren't up. Hard slam by Regal for one, two. Ooh, Jericho's out, but the crowd bought that. German suplex attempt, but Y2J with a standing switch. Into the walls of Jericho, and after a very short struggle, Regal taps. Again, quite the abrupt finish tonight. Jericho has won the Queen's Cup. Yay. He doesn't get long to celebrate with it, though. I'm sure he's gutted as Regal jumps in from behind and nails him with what used to be the Queen's Cup. Dan, your thoughts? Quickly start off with a with, with a, a negative point. What is the Queen's Cup? Why is the Queen's Cup? There's, there's no sort of story or anything put to it. But I mean, yes, even make up some sort of kayfabe. Oh, Regal won this when he was last in England, this isn't he's defending it or something, but it was just it was just a generic trophy from it just reminded me of the dear old Samovar trophy from Butterworld at the Albert Hall. Ah yes, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, outside outside of that, I I really enjoyed this. I, I think as with um Benoit and Angle they've they've found their sort of per, almost probably perfect match in terms of chemistry. I think Jericho and Regal have found theirs. Jericho has had decent matches with Benoit in the past and Triple H last year. I think I think Jericho and Regal is is their is the good sort of match for, for both really, both, both in terms of sort of promos and then now in the ring. Um, yeah, really good match. I think the off the top of my head, sort of memory, the the match at Mania was somewhat sort of sloppy in parts. I think this was this was sort of neater. And um, yeah, I mean, the match at Backlash with the um, random rules was was a bit sort of daft, but 
this was sort of more sort of simple and straightforward. Didn't really need to have whatever this Queen's Cup thing is attached to it. But yeah, I I enjoyed it, and yeah, I would like to see them again, possibly Judgment Day or or sort of somewhere down the line. Yeah, second match in a row where it's the best match the competitors have had in front of the cameras, I think. Jericho, for whatever reason, was really into this one. He was doing more than his fair share of wearing down work, arm locks, wrist locks, etc. And as I said there in the play-by-play, he looked good doing it. He shouldn't be so frightened to show us that side of his game. I think if he did it a bit more, then I would probably be a bit kinder to him than I am. I have got some brickbats in the past by saying that he's only a top of the second tier worker at best. But if he has got these things in his locker, then prove me wrong to coin Benoit's phrase. <laughs> he's doing very well today. The supposed importance of the Queen's Cup did really help to carry this match, despite everybody's best efforts. As you say, Dan, a little bit of explanation goes a long way. Regal was allowed to be Regal here too, which was interesting. I still don't know if there's a definitive opponent for him in the Federation outside of possibly Angle slash Benoit, mention him again. Not convinced we're going to get lengthy matches between those anytime soon. So Jericho isn't the best opponent for him, but sheer weight of numbers. It's their third match in a row in a short space of time. Regal is one of those workers who is at his best when he is carrying a match because I think then he knows he needs to try to tone down his own style a little bit. Still there, still recognisably him, but he knows he cannot work that way in North America if he's going to try to get watchable matches. Whether or not it happens enough is another question, but I think it was definitely the case here. Again, I'm glad they got a good 14 minutes. I think they used it well. As with Jericho, it's his won't, I'm afraid. Got a bit skew-whiff towards the end. That bulldog wasn't great. A couple of other moves here and there. Rather shaky. Whether it's concentration for him or not, I don't know. But it's very noticeable. And I doubt I'm the only person who has noticed. I'm sure there are people backstage who are all too keen to notice. But another fine match here in not as essential to your viewing as much as Angle Benoit beforehand. When you do get hold of, it's far more of a treat than their previous two matches. And I think that's sufficient here. But let's never hear of the Queen's Cup again. <laughs> I'm sure that, I'm pretty sure that wish will be granted. I'm not going oh, out yes, on much yeah, of there, am I? No, 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 it's been destroyed. It will be <laughs> to whatever we get at Rebellion. <laughs> it's like the trophy at WrestleMania 4 Battle Royal. Oh, yeah, exactly. The lost trophies of the WWF. I'm sure they'll have a nice chat about old times at a landfill site one day. Let's get to the main event, which is The Undertaker versus WWF champion Stone Cold Steve Austin and Intercontinental champion Triple H. This match is for the world title, but it will only change hands if Undertaker pins Austin. That's an out, but I think it's a decent one. Austin's entrance still gets a pop. It's time to change it. But otherwise, I would say that Austin's heel turn is starting to take. I noticed a fair few anti-316 signs in the crowd. But then, as soon, this is absolutely true, as soon as I typed that, he'd get on the buckles to salute the fans. Will you stop doing that, you utter plum? <sighs> Sign of the crowd. I doubt anything of significance will happen tonight. And no, it wasn't mine. Well, it could have been. Anyway, let's prove him wrong, shall we? Take a clears the ring early with the great equaliser. It takes a very long time for the baddies to attack. 
The Triple H does get there first, and then both the heels, still struggling to type that, are in early with big offense in the corner. Double team clothesline doesn't work, though, as Taker sees that off in the established manner. Side slam to Austin, and a clothesline out for Triple H, but he can grab the dead man's ankle. He pays by eating the steps, and then they battle up the ramp. This takes place in front of a sign that reads, Triple H shot Bill Mitchell, and I think that one will be a British reference too far for our listeners <laughs> elsewhere. Don't worry, Dan, I'm going to spare you this time. Oh, lovely. <laughs> <laughs> Just look it up, everybody. Austin helps out, but he takes a big shot himself as we head back to the ring, or rather the announce table. Another sign in the crowd, and this is in the front row. Undertaker, did you like your present? Hmm. I rather suspect it was intercepted before it got to him. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> old school from Taker, and then a rather sloppy exchange that ends with a Taker DDT. There was some clear miscommunication there. Cover by Undertaker, but Austin is in to break it up. Team player. Now he hobbles in and gets off the Des Press and the running elbows. But this time Taker blocks the third one. Chokeslam try, but that just allows Cole to get in the numbers game. Mm, nearly done, Rory, nearly done. Double knockdown then between Taker and Hunter. Steph distracts the ref and then Austin with a no-nonsense chair shot to the head. But Undertaker kicks out. Power Tripper right back on top, though, as they work on the dead man. Taker back with those suit bones of his, but Helmsley quells that good and early with a sleeper right in the middle of the ring. And Triple H really does grapple down into the sleeper, too. Good stuff. See, I give credit where it's due. If only our only exposure to this man was in was his in-ring work. Oh, see, I can't. All right, Triple H is good. Okay, you happy now? (laughs) Taker won't let the arm drop, of course, and battles back. Leaping clothesline, one of his best moves, I always maintain. But now both men are down again, so Austin is in. His own sleeper doesn't last long, so maybe Taker's will? No. Nice side suplex counter by Stone Cold. And now the two men have recovered. Okay, now I'm going to take it back. Okay, Triple H goes up for the move I can only call the My opponent is going to boot me in the face. I hate that spot. I really do. Taker whips both guys into opposite corners and then over the top goes Austin. Triple H tries a jumping attack, but Undertaker saw it coming and catches with a choke slam right through the announce table. Back in, Austin with a sharp stunner, but he is booted in the face. Choke slam. No, low blow. But he gets it on the second try. Is something of significance going to happen on this show? Well, Mark, it's not going to if you delay the pin like that, is it? Ah, dear. Triple H is up to make the save. Pedigree try, but he gets slingshotted into Austin. Triple H back with a face buster and a clothesline, and I think they've lost the pattern of the match here. Maybe Vince can help. He has a chair, Triple H is holding Undertaker for him, and there is only one way, and that is going to end. Undertaker goes for the pin, and as you've just heard, he got the one, the two, and the three. He also got a very nasty cut around his right ear. No world title change here, of course, but he does at least get to nail Austin with the choke slam and the chair a good few times to take us out. Dan, this wasn't the Backlash 2001 main event. It it wasn't too bad, yeah. It's all right. Based based on what we saw um, not too long, the the other week or so, yeah. This wasn't too bad at all. And after the the previous two matches of of what we call sort of solid mat work, sort of wrestling, having a having a bit of a brawl, 
to sort of close the show for for not too much longer sort of made sense. One big question though is the Undertaker, why pin Triple H? It's a little bit of yeah, not, yeah. Not, not not the smartest uh, thing to do if you if the way to win the title is to only pin Austin, beat Triple H up, knock him senseless, push him out of the ring, mm-hmm. focus on Austin, get the win, get the title. Oh well. He got the, he got to send the crowd home happy, I suppose. But yeah, again, going back to the this is a house show sort of mentality, I guess that no one really sort of seemed to care. They didn't win the title, not even he. So a bit of an odd one, and it'd probably be sort of somewhat forgotten about come come Monday on Raw as we as we sort of mentioned. But yeah, as a, as a match, perfectly fine. If it was just a a handicap match without the title on the line. Then I wouldn't have sort of any kind of qualms with it, and it would, and it would have been a great sort of way to to, to finish the show. But yeah, that sort of bit stuck in my head a little bit, going well, just a bit, just a little bit of a, a daft way to finish, making Nante seem a bit stupid for pinning the wrong guy. But there we go. Yeah, I got what they were trying to do by trying to add a Susan of importance to it, and they probably could have done worse. But in kayfabe terms, it makes no sense, Dan. You're quite right. You just wouldn't do it, would you? you well, no, you just wouldn't do it. You destroy Triple H and then leave Austin slim pickings. Maybe they could have done something where you could have had the same match, but Vince is sucked up to by Austin, but he says the title won't be on the line, and it's the one match he's not allowed to over. You could have just been a a handicap chronic grudge match because they took out Kane. So, Ante wants to beat them both up. Yeah. He... At the beginning of the show, when uh, they said that Linda said Deontay was having the match, he just said... Well, he doesn't know the Undertaker isn't for the title, and he could say, "Well, this isn't about the title. This is about revenge." There you go. There we are done. Then him destroying them makes perfect sense. Then we can move on to him getting a title match later. Agreed. Yeah. So that's a little bit annoying. I'm going to give them grudging credit for trying to think, but on this occasion they thought maybe just a tiny bit too much. Yeah. Yeah. This match was good. It did help by being ten minutes shorter than the Backlash one. <laughs> yes. I was concerned for our listeners this one taking place just six days after a match that nearly broke me do go back to the backlash show and hear messrs kimber and colling doing their best to prop me up i'm not sure even with their huge skill set they quite succeeded in doing so but a noble effort nevertheless but here i am everybody i made it live to tell the tale this is a sort this match was very fast paced for what it was again graded on a curve obviously to the guys who are in there but they got a lot into the 15 minutes, more than I was expecting. And whether there was something in the water, I was caught that day, I don't know. But Undertaker was probably as motivated as we're going to get him to be. I'm Again, I'm, maybe I'm just faffing around to try to give grudging praise where it's not really I, due. I but, think it's fading to everyone, everyone sort of style. Yes, I guess sort of Triple H does kind of like the, the sort of classic sort of wrestling style more so than, than brawling, but in the role he's in sort of now with Austin in this power trip, the whole sort of beat people up sort of kind of sort of thuggish mentality that they're going for and then Deontay sort of counteracting that as being sort of a, a tougher tough guy than them. Yeah, I think I think this is the match they that they wanted to wrestle and that's why kinda of why they're up for it. It was like a mm. it's gonna be as you say, sort of fifteen minutes of just walk walk and brawl, a couple of sort of big spots here here and there, let's do it type thing. Let's do, and then, yeah, I, th- I don't think that's where, that's where there was no sort of contention with any any party and what they want to do. They all sort of wanted to do that. Another advantage of the match being shorter 
meant that we couldn't really see as many of the flaws that Triple H and Austin do have as a tag team. I said this on the show last month that they haven't got a style down in either kayfabe or non-kayfabe terms, actual working terms. It's still not there yet, but this match rattled along at such a pace that I didn't really get a chance to pick up on that this time. So that's probably the way to go until they really do, because they're going to be wrestling tags on the main event for a good couple of months now, I believe. What other plans they have for Heel Austin, it's going to involve tag matches for Triple H for at least a little bit of time. So they do need to work on that, I think, and it isn't there yet. But here it didn't matter quite so much. Not sure that was necessarily a conscious decision, but it was definitely a positive byproduct of it. Going to praise him again. I thought the way the Triple H worked the sleeper at the right form of the match was really, really good. And as I say, he wrestled Undertaker down to the mat, and it wasn't just a rest hold. <laughs> Don't want to get carried away here, but this is his style. This is, Triple H's style of match is this match, where he's got people who, in this case it was Austin, and this is a strange thing to say, but stay with me, who can carry the pace of the match. Because although I don't like that Austin is still pretty much working his babyface brawling style, it does at least make the matches he's in zip by. He can't do that forever. He's got to try to slow it down if he wants to rush it up the booze a bit more. But because he was doing most of the heavy lifting in this match, Triple H wasn't caught out by one which was taking place at a good clip, if you know what I mean. And maybe that's why Undertaker was there, because he was just trying to keep up with Austin. I don't know, it was one big real happy accident this match. It's a difficult one to elucidate, but once more, much like the previous two matches, it's one you probably need to check out. I would not recommend the Backlash one on a month of Sundays. This was a fascinating one, almost in spite of itself. I don't think it went in to try to be a fascinating match. When the run sheet was put together, already the main event for Insurrection 01, nobody was putting one together that was going to have so many talking points coming out of it. But this one has. Austin's go, go, go style doesn't suit his character, but it's still fun to watch. Triple H, when he's got somebody who doesn't have to slow things down for him, can do it when it matters. And when somebody taps Undertaker on the shoulder, (laughs) good luck doing that, by the way, on a normal circle, any other 999 times out of 100, no, he's going to deliver what I'm going to kindly call the goods. So this was, dare I say it, fun. Am I allowed to say that? Yeah, no, it was. Am I, I allowing myself to say that? I am on this occasion. Yeah. A good, well, fun that's the thing. Event. And sort of, yeah, with, 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 like I say, a backlash very fresh in your, in your mind, this was a very much sort of a, a, a sort of a cleanser, not, a, not a complete sort of full turnaround for the, for that, but definitely sort of refreshed and sort of made you think, well, they shows they can do better, and shows that probably backlash was a miss. Hopefully, a misstep that they moved. They they take the lessons learnt from the week before, and they put them to this. Yes, it was a slightly different match, of course, but but maybe maybe that's what it needed. Just sort of a bit of a rejig. Of course, because this match was such a qualified, want to make that qualified success. We will probably be getting various iterations of it for the next two or three months, anyway. Mm. Me and my big mouth, and that ended Insurrection 01. As the boys are now back on the plane, Raw taking place live on Monday. God, bloody hell. Let's see what they can land to. Give them Insurrection 01 a score rating out of 10 and a bit of a breakdown. Oh, so, yeah. Um, first sort of half an hour or so in, I was sort of very much happy to stick with a, a maybe a four or five at best tag match sort of picked up from, from there. 
and then from there, very much, very happy indeed. As you've said, well, recommendations for, for basically that the last three matches, if not even the tag matches as well, the uh, four-way elimination matches. Um, not as recommended as as the, as the others, but but why not include that? It yeah, just me sort of skip past that first sort of half an hour or so. So um, score score wise out of ten, I'm happy to sort of sit sit at probably about about a seven. Yes, of course it's not as good as it's got a, a sort of a fully fledged pay view. We did allude to doing somewhat of a glorified house show at at times, but for for what it was, this was sort of a very pleasant surprise. Really, sort of took my expectations, which would be uh, not going to get much out of it. Yes, we didn't get sort of title changes or much sort of storyline sort of development as we do at normal pay-per-views, but very happy to watch it. And like I say at two hours sort of twenty odd in total, the short the bits that I didn't really like didn't last long enough, and the bits I did like lasted perfectly the right amount of time. So yeah, happy to sit, sit at seven. Yeah, I think I'm with you. Our old friend the curve is coming into play yet again. Mm. He says, thinking out loud, can you give it a seven? Yes, oh, fuck it, I'm giving it a seven. I don't think this was an outright 7 out of 10 show from an in-ring perspective. No. But knowing what we know about these two pay-per-views and the fact it was structured in such a way that I was ready to put this one and keep it very much in the doldrums after the first hour. And then it built and built and built and built with three very strong matches at the end, make no mistake. All three, I would call them pay-per-view worthy. That's not to say they were all knockout five stars. Not at all. The Angle Benoit wasn't far off, but they could sit on any pay-per-view, certainly any B-level pay-per-view, and yes. they would more than pass muster, let's say that. I think yeah. they would enhance any show you would have to plonk down $29.95 for. We paid £14.99p, or at least I did on Skybox Office yes. for this one, and I think I got my money's worth. I would say so. Yeah, I, I think so, yeah. I, I, I think, um, I'd say that, that first hour, you probably, re- re- well, the first sort of half an hour, probably a bit of regret. But yeah, that last hour certainly paid for it, and, and some, I think. I uh, don't see the, yeah, I don't see these pay-per-views ever getting beyond the seven. So this no, might probably I, I a ten think, plus yeah, as long as they exist. But on, they on the curve and such like that, yeah, I, I don't think we're going to get uh, a stellar ultimate sort of recommendation towards the whole, the whole sort of card for, for these shows. Like, yeah, come, come rebellion. I'm, I'm, I like to think we we could hit a, hit a seven again. Maybe we will, maybe we won't. Who knows? But um, but yeah, I think I think this a seven. Yes, it's kind of a bit in context. Is it a normal seven pay, seven out of ten pay per view? Like say probably not. But yeah, if this was the card for uh, yeah, if this was the card for for Judgment Day, we probably wouldn't rate it as high because we probably expect more from it. But yeah, the last three matches, happy to see iterations of them again, and as I mentioned, um, happy to see some sort of combination of that tag match. Of the four-way elimination match again. Roll on November. And that will close us out for part one, WWF May 2001. All that remains to thank Daniel DeWitt for joining us today. Dan, excellent contributions as ever, my man. Thank you, thank you, yeah. Glad, glad to jump aboard once again. And speaking of which, you will be making some more very specific contributions to this feed in just two weeks' time. Why don't you tell the listeners what we're ready to unleash on them 14 yes. days from now. Oh, almost there. No pressure, Dan. No pressure. Tick, tick, tick. Oh, of course. Of course. Absolutely none <laughs> whatsoever. <laughs> Me alongside uh, Pete, Billy and um, 
excuse me, Adam, who you may have heard on previous shows before, are launching the Indie Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. Which, so as there's no ECW and no WCW anymore, we sort of figured there must be some other wrestling outside of the WF that's, that's worthwhile and worth watching. So that's what we're doing. We're jumping back to see what was going on outside of Titan Towers 20 years ago to see who's where, like which, which, where the wrestlers who we are not seeing on our normal sort of Raw and SmackDown each week are they up to? Is there anyone new that we should be looking at, out for? So yeah, hopefully you'll, you'll come along and join us on this sort of journey. Um, as I said on the prologue that was released a few weeks ago, my experience of indie wrestling is sort of very limited. So I'm sort of coming at this from a sort of a coming in sort of blind and seeing what's, seeing what's available. And hopefully the things we recommend to you, you'll enjoy. And maybe you guys will recommend things to us. You, you might know things to go that are coming up sort of later in the year that you say, oh, have you thought about watching this one? We probably will do. So look out for that coming soon. As you say, in two weeks, episode one covering May 2001 of what wasn't the WWF. Very, very different territory for us on these shows. We've kept it extremely mainstream over the last seven and a half years. Now, indie wrestling, but if anybody can, these guys can. If you do want more information on how they're going to be tackling the indie wrestling scene month to month, what sort of matches they'll be watching, what they're going to be closely spying on, then I do recommend you check out the prologue that we released a few weeks ago now. should be easy enough to find in the archives. Only about half an hour long. Just gives a new introduction to the guys if you haven't made their acquaintance before. So their experiences of indie wrestling and how they will be approaching things over the next... 20, 30, 40 years. <laughs> it's, it's a, the presentation is going to be very different as well. We will not be doing, well, they, I'm, I'm sure I'll pop up once or twice. They will not be doing this show in rigid timeline mode because then we might as well talk about it quickly here. You're going to be hopping around a bit anyway from promotion to promotion, match to match. So exactly. It'll be difficult to tell stories in the way we do on this program, but you, I'm sure you're going to be able to latch on to certain talents making their debuts around about this time and at least tell stories of the progressions of their career. Yeah, it, it, exactly. So um, the idea is that we'll, we'll go out and find sort of matches of the time and sort of present them to both each other and then to you, the listeners. And yeah, as you say, there won't be a, a single sort of promotional stuff we're sort of following. If there's certain sort of bigger shows that come up through the through the next coming months, we'll probably cover them closer to how we cover uh, pay per views on the main on the main timeline. Um, but um, but yeah, it'll be mainly sort of single sort of match recommendations and sort of talking about sort of the how they came to be and maybe sort of a bit of where they're going next and yeah, as I say finding guys who are sort of starting out now and sort of names you guys sort of may know already and looking forward to sort of seeing how they started and where they where they turn up June the 5th is the date for your diary two weeks today as this show goes out one week today will be the second part of our May 2001 for WWF well, we will be looking at all the TVs and the Judgment Day pay-per-view. But this has been Volume 1, looking at Insurrection 01. Dan, one more time, my man. Thanks for joining us, sir. Thank you very much. And I am Rory McNamara saying cheerio. <laughs> You've got to, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs>